Hello, I'm Dwayne Peters with the Lupus Foundation of America, which is the founder and owner of the open access journal Lupus Science and Medicine that is produced by BMJ. On this podcast, we will be discussing the manuscript Incidence Rates of Systemic Lupus Erythematosus in the USA, Estimates from a Meta-Analysis of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention National Lupus Registries. Our guests are Dr. Peter Ismerly, Associate Professor of Medicine at the New York University School of Medicine, and Dr. Elizabeth Ferrucci, Rheumatologist and Medical Researcher for the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium in Anchorage, Alaska. Dr. Ismerly, let's begin our discussion by providing some background information on the purpose of these patient registries and how they were established and structured. The government became interested in the epidemiology of lupus because the data that were available prior to these registries were varied and they had some small numbers, some large numbers, and they had a lot of methodologic differences, which could have explained the numbers. And so the CDC became the funding agency to address this. And then the two initial sites were funded back in around 2003 or four, and they were run out of Georgia and Michigan. They were partnerships between the respective Department of Health and Emory University with Sam Lim and Christina Drenkard being the rheumatologists and at Michigan it was Emily Summers and Joe McCune. And so they were chosen because they had in their catchment area, which was Washington and Wayne County for Michigan and Fulton and Bill Cobb for Georgia had very large white and African-American populations. So they were going to be able to provide really credible data on those two demographics. And then around 2009, the CDC realized that there are three other large demographics that will not be able to have data answered through those initiatives. And so they put out another RFA and they were looking for areas where institutions could provide data on Asians and Hispanics and and Native American Alaska Natives. And so we at NYU were one of the places that applied and were funded in in our catchment area was New York City. And we collaborated with our city department of health, which is actually a separate entity from the state department of health. And then UCSF also applied and they had large demographics of Asians and Hispanics like New York City and and San Francisco. And that was run up um, by Maria Delara. And then I can let Liz talk about the Indian Health Service. The Indian Health Service Lupus Registry was designed somewhat differently from the other four registries in order to capture the best data on American Indian and Alaska Native people with lupus. And so this was developed in partnership with the CDC and Indian Health Service, initially with Nat Cobb, who was with the National Indian Health Service. And then I took over management of the project as a rheumatologist working for the Indian Health Service Alaska area. This registry was unique in that it only included that one demographic. It was also unique in that we pulled from Indian Health Service facilities to capture the data rather than the other population-based sources that the other registries were using. And then finally, we only included three different administrative areas of the Indian Health Service throughout the U.S. because those areas actually had rheumatologists practicing within the Indian Health Service, and we thought the data would be more accurate regarding lupus diagnosis in those populations. So how was the data acquired? What sources were used? And what methods were employed to analyze the collected data? 
And I think it's worth starting out by pointing that these were at least the four that I mentioned were collaborations with the city in our case or the state department of health to provide us with a, a HIPAA surveillance exemption so that we could go to these various case finding sources which included hospitals or large medical practices rheumatologists and then in some cases dermatologists and nephrologists physicians who are likely to see a patient with lupus and ask them to generate lists of their patients, which we screened by a variety of, of at the time, ICD-9 codes. We had what, trained medical abstractors. These are people who we all trained to become very familiar with what lupus is and the criteria and, and what to look for in charts. And so we had standardized data elements between the sites and captured in a database. And so the abstractors were trained and how to look through charts. And then when our sites were up and running, there was a combination of paper charts still and computer charts. And so they go through these charts in like either a hospital office or a private practitioner's office and they code. Okay, so there's the ANA. It's positive. What was the titer? Okay, it was one to 640. We're going to code that too. Oh, I see arthritis. We're going to code that. We're going to code that they had discord. We code all the, the criteria elements that are part of the classification criteria for lupus. And at the time, the 1997 ACR was what we used for our definition, but we also collected variables that were part of the slick classification criteria, which was in development when we started our abstraction. And so we, and we collected some other stuff, you know, that we were allowed to sort of collect that had to do with some sort of, you know, morbidity or mortality type stuff associated with lupus. But mostly it was classification criteria to validate a diagnosis of systemic lupus erythematosus. The one big difference, I think some people look at these registry data and think that it's the same as other studies that have used administrative data, where they simply rely on ICD codes associated with lupus and maybe come up with an algorithm to define lupus based on those codes. Whereas, you know, in this case, we pulled potential cases based on the codes and then abstracted the data elements from the actual medical record to verify the cases actually met these criteria based on existing diagnosis of and criteria stated of lupus. They're also pretty different from, you know, university-based lupus cohorts, where people who present to a university clinic with a diagnosis of lupus are recruited in that this is more representative of the general population. So those are kind of two big differences from previous studies. Okay. What have been the major findings from your analysis of the data? And what new information have we learned about the different population groups that are disproportionately affected by lupus? The purpose of this paper was to do a meta-analysis just for the incidence of, so the newly diagnosed cases. But so I think in the end, that's what the government wanted. They wanted an estimate of how many patients have lupus and how many are newly diagnosed. And so all five of these registries provided data that were previously published. And so they provided rates for the various demographics that they were tasked to, to find. And then we collectively, the PIs came together and figured out how we were going to do the meta-analysis on our own to generate. Our numbers were kind of close. I mean, they weren't necessarily superimposable, uh, like what the rates of what one site found for white Americans might be slightly different from another site. And with the exception of Liz's site, all the sites did provide data on white Americans. So that's the beauty of what a meta-analysis does. It throws in together all the different studies and, and spits out a nice 
estimate. And so I think one of the important things to point out is that because we used similar methodologies, our meta-analysis was quite reliable. We knew the studies, we were the PIs of them, we all came together to work on them. And so um, for the study that published in LSM, we looked at the incidence rates of lupus. And so we found that the overall incidence rate of lupus with newly diagnosed cases was 5.1 per 100,000. And so it was higher in females than males, as we would expect, um, 8.7 per 100,000 for females and 1.2 per 100,000 per males. And that Black females had the highest rate at 15.9 per 100,000, and then followed by the American Indian Alaska Native population, which had the second highest rate at 10.4 per 100,000. And um, it was similar uh, for males, but in this case, Alaska Native American Indian had the highest rates followed by African American. Dr. Ferrucci, do you want to add to that? I think the original manuscripts from each individual site went into a little bit more detail about which specific manifestations were common in the population, as well as age of onset and prevalence of specific organ involvement like kidney disease. Whereas this meta-analysis looking at incidents sort of gives combined data really just related to incidents. And then we had another meta-analysis of prevalence. One thing to comment on about the meta-analyses is that the actual analysis that combined data only used the four registries that were not from Indian Health Service because we were the only registry that had data on that specific population. And so it couldn't be combined together. However, the meta-analysis paper on incidents and prevalence includes data from the, the Indian Health Service registry on American Indian Alaska Native rates. So what conclusions can be drawn from your analysis? What insights do we have now that we didn't have before? And how can we use this data to improve public health here in the United States? I think it provides rates that I feel like are quite reliable for the various demographics seen in the United States. And I think that the rates can be applied to census data from any year. I mean, we just picked 2018 because that was the latest available at the time that we were drafting the manuscripts. But, you know, it can be applied to any census data to generate estimates of amounts of patients from the various demographics who have it. And then you could sort of, I think, helps identify areas that might be based on their demographics. So you might see a lot of lupus and then in theory, you could potentially match care to an area that might have a, a lot more lupus because of their demographics put them at higher risk. You know, I mean, I think you know, everyone thinking about COVID all the time. And so like, like, let's say in five years, all of a sudden you see some numbers now and, and people want to speculate, well, maybe COVID is causing an increase in systemic lupus erythematosus. You have sort of, I think, credible background rates prior to COVID that you could do a comparison to we sort of, from the previous data that were available in the U.S., we knew that, or we expected to find a high incidence and prevalence of lupus in Black women, and that that was confirmed in these studies. But we really didn't have much data on American Indian Alaska Native populations. And so I think it has been somewhat surprising to people that the prevalence of lupus was pretty much prevalence and incidence really were very close to what we see in Black women and men, possibly even higher, but certainly at least as high. And so that was something we really didn't have data on before that these added to. There were also not many numbers of estimates. There were a couple on, on Hispanics and Asian American Pacific Islanders, but not robust data. And so it was not clear where they would fall in the spectrum of lupus. So I definitely think that is something that I should also be mentioned, and I appreciate was pointing that out. 
What are the limitations of the registries and the data that was able to be collected? So each individual registry had their own subtle limitations that aggregated them in the limitations section of the paper. But we all basically used the same ICD-9 codes, but there were subtle differences. Also, each of the individual registries did something called capture recapture analysis. But in a sense, they guesstimate how many cases you missed by how many cases you found and how many places you found them in. And so all the registries capture recapture analysis showed that we missed cases as expected, right? I mean, no matter how thorough these sites were, you know, not every rheumatologist participated in any of the sites, you know, and, and, you know, there are some that just didn't want people in their office. And I know some hospitals were very against participating because of privacy issues, despite the surveillance. So we clearly missed cases. So I would think that these estimates are still a sort of a floor for where lupus is in that, you know, we were only trying to capture cases that were certainly diagnosed with a rheumatologic condition that fulfilled classification criteria and that were screened in. We didn't really capture undiagnosed lupus. Like if people were out there that have lupus and we just have no idea because they're not accessing healthcare, there's no way we would have captured them. And I also think like race and ethnicity were done from the medical records. We had no contact with patients. So I, if somebody miscoded somebody's race, some administrator or some checkbox, we could have certainly missed that. I think that the geographic ranges we chose, you know, were a mix of urban and city places. And so I think we certainly didn't capture all of America, but we captured areas of America that I think are representative of the country. We limited it to the ACR classification criteria, but maybe if we used SLIC or URACR, we might have gotten. And we used SLIC in New York City, but not every other site did that. And, you know, maybe if we used a different classification criteria, a different definition, we might have gotten higher. In fact, every site, in their original papers, used the ACR as their primary case definition, but they had some freedom to use different ways to define lupus. And pretty much every site's secondary definition of lupus, with the exception of the Michigan site, showed higher rates. So what is the future for these registries? I believe there are ongoing studies using cohorts associated with these registries. So some of the registries were funded to be converted to like a cohort, like sort of like the Framingham cohort. They're following these patients over time and they're collecting data. So uh, the Michigan, Georgia, and San Francisco sites are providing follow-up data on their um, initial registries that they collected. And so there's more data to come out of this initiative. The other thing to add is that the CDC also recently funded a pediatric cohort, which was something that was included to some extent in these registries, but pretty limited information on pediatric lupus. So that is more recent and uh, more information to come from that as well. Any final thoughts you'd like to add? I also think one thing worth pointing out that is worth mentioning is that by combining these registries, you had large numbers of male lupus in these studies. And so you got a lot of previous epi studies didn't even look at male lupus because it's so skewed female. But each one of these sites, by the methodology that they did, and then combining them for the meta-analysis, allowed you have pretty large numbers of male lupus to generate the rates of the various race ethnicities in these studies. And, and I think that's something worth also pointing out. Well, congratulations on the publication of your meta-analysis. The registries have certainly increased our understanding of the full impact lupus has on population groups here in the United States. We look forward to learning more from the ongoing cohorts as well. 
I want to thank you both for providing our listeners with more details about this important public health initiative. We have been speaking with Dr. Peter Ismerly, Associate Professor of Medicine at the New York University School of Medicine, and Dr. Elizabeth Ferrucci, Rheumatologist and Medical Researcher for the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium in Anchorage, Alaska. They discussed the manuscript, Incidence Rates of Systemic Lupus Erythematosus in the USA, Estimates from a Meta-Analysis of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention National Lupus Registries. It is published in the open access journal, Lupus Science and Medicine, and is available for free online at lupus.bmj.com. For the Lupus Foundation of America and BMJ, I'm Dwayne Peters. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.